The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 3, I Am the Namesake. The podcast is about the high school football scene in the Mid-Ohio Valley. We cover West Virginia primarily, but we venture into Ohio and cover the teams in this area that are from the Buckeye State. This week we have a lot of Buckeye State content. Frontier and Marietta were part of the preseason preview series on our Light Rock 93 on our Facebook page. Plus, we'll go in between the hash marks to talk about the expanded Ohio playoffs for this year. Again, as we said, the preseason season preview series on Light Rock 93R. I got a chance earlier this week to stop by camps at Frontier Marietta PHS in Williamstown. We'll also talk with Wayne Ryan of the SSAC and get some rule changes and COVID protocols for this year. Plus, Taryn Malone and I talk about our top five games of the year. This is a chock full edition, so let's get right to it. Again, as we said last week on the show, through a series of rules clinics for coaches, the SSAC has been able to get a message out there about COVID-19. And as we said last week, that message is get the vaccine or maybe get left out. I talked earlier this week with Wayne Ryan, the assistant and executive director of the WVSSAC, and here's what he had to say about COVID protocols for 2021. I will clear up a little bit of what we've been expressing to our school administration and to our coaches about vaccinations for COVID. And we got this from the state, uh, our state health officials have passed this down so we can relay this information. Two big changes this year in COVID protocols. First of all, we are encouraging the vaccinations and uh, very basic uh, to summarize how it would work if you're exposed to COVID in your English classroom and you've been vaccinated vaccinated, you you would not have to go into quarantine. But if you are unvaccinated and you get exposed in your English class, you would be quarantined. So we certainly, you know, for that reason, uh, encourage teams for to get the vaccination to avoid being quarantined and impacting their team. The second way it's really going to impact things this year is it's going to be more school specific. You're not going to have the statewide map with the, the colors shutting down schools. So you're going to have each school responsible uh, for their COVID outbreaks. So basically, if you've got a high vaccination rate on your team, you're going to keep your team playable. But if you have so many kids that are quarantined, if you have an outbreak and you require that game to be, try to be canceled or changed, there'll be no cancellations if the teams can't find an agreed upon date to make up the game, which is really hard in football, Mm -hmm. uh, then that's going to be a forfeit this year instead of a no contest. So again, uh, both things just really encourage the vaccination so we can have as close to normal season as possible. A couple things on this really quickly before we move on to rules. The first is, do you anticipate any blowback from coaches or communities maybe even where that is a controversial issue, the idea of getting vaccinated? It's controversial politically. It's not controversial for public health. So blowbacks are blowbacks. I mean, uh, all you have to do is look at the public health data supports the importance of vaccinations. And that's where we have to take our stand. That's Wayne Ryan, the assistant executive director of the WVSSAC. And that is the message that we need to get out there. And that's the message that's needed to be said about the vaccine for months now. It's controversial politically. It's not controversial for public health. We need to move past the idea that getting vaccinated is something that has to do with your political belief. And we need to move on to the idea that getting vaccinated is something that's good for public health. The MMR vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine, those are commonly given. And I know there are some that are anti-vaccine as far as those vaccines go as well. But by and large, those are commonly accepted vaccines. And the COVID-19 vaccine needs to be viewed the same way. We'll hear that interview complete with all the COVID protocols and rule changes later in the pod today. Again, for the preseason preview series, and you can find all those videos on our Light Rock 93 our Facebook page, I've made four stops as we take 
tape this now and have got some more later this week and maybe even in the next week. Parkersburg High School was one of those first stops. I talked to head coach Mike Bias about how he plans to move Bryson Singer around and use him this season. Just like last year, I mean, he played, he caught a touchdown pass, he ran the ball, he threw the ball, he played defense, and he's going to do a lot of the same kind of thing. Um, He's a talented young man, and, and, uh, you know, people can be jealous of him at times if that's what you want, but the the young man has has earned it, and his uh, work ethic was unbelievable. And he's been sidelined a little bit uh, with a hamstring issue, so we're kind of slowly trying to get him back to run, and he's, he's been out for about a month just trying to get that thing. We want him uh, to be 100%. That's Mike Bias, the head coach of the Parkersburg Big Reds. Singer is somebody that has aspirations to play at a higher level, and I asked him as a veteran coach, what does Bias see in Singer that makes him think he could succeed at the next level? The work ethic. Um, when they asked me about the Surratts, uh, obviously they were, uh, you know, they led the league in yes sirs and no sirs, and Bryson's one of those kind of kids who mm-hmm. who uh, never questions what you ask him or tell him to do as a coach. Uh, he's going to go He's going to go try to please his teammates, and that's what makes him a good teammate. Moving from the big school scene in Wood County to the small school scene, Williamstown is young up front. They graduated four offensive linemen last year, and they graduated quarterback Braden Modisett. Trevor Oates will stay in the backfield to run the ball, but according to head coach Chris Beck, quarterback is wide open for the Yellow Jackets. Trevor's going to stay in the backfield. Um, so we have a quarterback competition going on right now with Max Melissa and Colton Hessen, mm-hmm. both sophomores. Uh, we're in a really good spot through the three-week period in the first couple weeks here in August. I feel confident both of them can win games. It's just kind of who gives us the best chance, and maybe it's a combination of both of them throughout the game. I don't know. Uh, as we kind of evaluate it, they're definitely two of our best 11 athletes. So whoever's not a quarterback is probably going to help us a receiver or something like that. There'll be room for them elsewhere. Yeah, there'll be room. And we got a lot of good skill guys. I feel really good about the skill guys. I know we're inexperienced up front. And we're looking for guys to step up. But as far as quarterback and the backfield and receivers go, we, that's actually a spot I think we have some depth. That's Williamstown head coach Chris Beck. Moving to the Ohio side, Frontier lost a lot to graduation last year at both the skill positions and up front. But they were able to do something that they hadn't done before in school history, and that's win a playoff game. Frontier head coach Russ Morris says they've used the momentum from that playoff appearance to help build morale and help build a good atmosphere around camp this year. The last couple years, you know, we've had some success. We uh, Two years ago, we won an OVAC championship, which we hadn't done in uh, 15 years. Uh, and then last year, made the playoffs for the fourth, fourth time school history and won a playoff game, which was really awesome. And, uh, you know, it's got more kids in our program. You know, we got 30 kids on the roster this year, got 18 kids in our junior high program, which is a lot. Our off-season weight training was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's good for our, our football program, but it's also good for our school and our community. And, and that's credit to our kids, the work they put in, and the uh, support of their parents and our administration. And uh, I feel like we're going in the right direction. That's Frontier head coach Russ Morris. Marietta has a new quarterback and some different schemes on both sides of the ball. After playoff appearance last year, head coach Jason Chubb says expectations are high. So we lost Reese Gerber, who's our quarterback. Um, first off, we lost Tony Munoz and Tyson Schaefer, two of our, our better receivers. Um, and then one of our linemen, Carson Irvin, was um, one of our better linemen. Um, but we do have quite a few guys back. Uh, the Cambridge game last year, we started four or five freshmen. Um, we beat Cambridge last game of the year, so they had experience. Our sophomore class is pretty 
solid. Um, and so we have Zach Bartlett back at running back. We have Aaron Heiner at left tackle, who's a four-year starter at left tackle. Um, we have some some key pieces, but the biggest thing would be the offseason. The kids have just worked really hard for a long time in the offseason. Our, our attendance has been probably one of the best since I've been here, and so that's encouraging. Gerber and Munoz became a nice little connection. Do you have a budding connection coming up that maybe played together at the JV level that you're hoping to see translate that success to the varsity level? We actually have another Gerber quarterback, um, but they're not related. So Tyler Gerber will be taking over for Reese Gerber. Um, and we have, we're a little bit different dynamic-wise. We're going to some different things offensively and defensively uh, based on personnel. But we don't have uh, Tony Munoz exactly, per se. Um, but we have a lot of kids who are really solid and hardworking. So um, we're going to be very different dynamic-wise but I think, I think they can fill the pieces together as a unit. That's Marietta head coach Jason Schaub. The Tigers scrimmaged the Philo Electrics last week, and they'll do battle with Logan, Ohio this week. Sticking with Ohio, let's go between the hash marks now and take a look at the new playoff format in Ohio. The board of the Ohio High School Athletic Association voted to expand the football playoffs and adjust the regional format. The top 16 schools in each region will now qualify for the playoffs. It had previously been eight. Also, the higher-seeded team will host first and second-round playoff games instead of only the first round before neutral sites are used beginning with the regional semifinals. It used to be you only had that first week at home if you were in the top four of your region. Now, if you're in the top eight of your region, you could potentially host two playoff games because first and second round playoff games will be at school sites instead of that neutral site used in the regional semifinals. The executive director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association said the move comes because of the overwhelmingly positive feedback they got last fall when they allowed every team to enter the football playoffs because of the shortened COVID-19 season. So the idea is about including more schools in the process. The OHSAA says they're exploring adding a strength of schedule component to their computer ratings that's used to determine the playoff qualifiers, and that could be added as soon as 2022. The expansion will increase the number of football playoff qualifiers in Ohio from 224 to 448. Last year, there were 709 schools in Ohio that played full 11-man football. Some people realize this, some don't, but at the playoff level in both West Virginia and Ohio, a lot of the proceeds, and I don't know the exact percentage points here, but a chunk of the proceeds will go to the state boards in West Virginia, the WVSSAC, in Ohio, the OHSAA. So to add another round of the playoffs in Ohio is adding revenue to their cost. They realize that, and the skeptic might look at this move and say, well, this is a money grab after last year's money grab. Well, not so fast. Last year's attempt to open up the playoffs really added inclusion and another game. In Ohio last year, they were only guaranteed six regular season games. The seventh game was a playoff game. Either way, the idea was to allow teams to get 10 games in, which Ohio played their playoffs to completion. They had success there. However, as Frontier head coach Russ Morris says, if you have more teams in the playoffs, that leads to more teams that are able to get higher participation numbers. And as he and I talked during the preseason preview series, there is a direct line between playoff appearances and participation in your program. I know not every coach in the Coach Association thinks it's great, but I do. I mean, that gives more kids the opportunity to experience that, more programs. We don't have 30 kids in our football program because we you know, we got it because we had some success. That's why we got that many kids. And, and going to playoffs helped in that. I remember back when I uh, coached back in the 90s, early 2000s, the first year we went to the playoffs, we had 28 kids on the team. We went to the playoffs, 
and we never had less than 40 the following three years. We ended up going two more times in a row. So there's something, there's something to this. It's not just people talking and speculating, oh, well, of course, you know. It, it sounds cliche to say, you know, success breeds participation. Oh, yeah. but, but as you're saying, you're saying there are actual numbers behind that. Oh, I believe so, yeah. yeah. You've got, if you do well, kids want to be part of it. And, uh, you know, and uh, especially a game like football. It's hard work. And I think if you, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough. For, so I think it's great they went to answer your question. I think it's great they went to 16. That's my opinion. Gives more kids a chance to experience that playoff atmosphere. Outside of last year, football is about the only sport where you got to earn your right to get to the postseason. And now we have a little better chance of doing that because they're letting more teams in. That's Frontier head coach Russ Morris. I talked about this as well with Marietta head coach Jason Schaub, and he said it opens up a lot of opportunities for kids and it certainly makes the goal of going to the playoffs a lot more attainable for or a lot more programs. So we sort of have our goal to get over the 500 mark, and if we get over the 500 mark, we should definitely be in. And so I think that's realistic. That's Marietta head coach Jason Schaub. So 500 is the watermark, and he based that on previous seasons of Marietta, previous seasons within his region and where teams would fall. And he said, we figure Marietta would be in the playoffs about 50% of the time. And that's a good number for a team that hasn't made the playoffs a ton in the last several years. So either way, you look at Ohio's move to 16 playoff teams. Is it a money grab? Yes. Is it a boost for schools and programs and for the greater participation of football? Also, yes. Those two things can be true at the same time. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. There will be more money coming into Ohio's coffers, but there will also be a boost for playoff squads. I mean, you might look at this down the road and say, well, that might diminish the importance of making the playoffs. Well, no, I don't think so. If everyone doesn't go, it doesn't diminish the importance of making the playoffs. It might lead to some upsets in the first round because teams might not take those first round matchups as seriously as you think. I think you're going to see more upsets in the Ohio playoffs because with an eight team field, a lot of those matchups had gone to chalk, despite the fact there were some good teams from five through eight uh, in some of those brackets. However, now that there are 16, you've got chances for some real dark horses in nine through 16 and maybe some seven, 10 upsets, eight, nine upsets. And maybe there's some more parity from this participation, getting better athletes to come out. And that leads to bigger upsets and a more balanced 16 team field down the road. A lot of downstream consequences to this, but again, both of those things can be true. It will lead to better participation, and you will have more teams that are able to say, we were a playoff team, and that is the goal, more teams that are able to make that goal, while also making more money for your state. All of that can be true. Something can make more money for the state and be good for kids all at the same time, as this is. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. As I said earlier in the program, I had a chance to sit down with Wayne Ryan, the Assistant Executive Director of the WVSSAC, to talk about COVID protocols for this year, but most importantly, rules changes to look out for in 2021. We're joined by Wayne Ryan, the Assistant and Executive Director of the WVSSAC. Glad to have you with us once again to talk about rules for this year and regulations. Before we get into the actual football, I know as far as COVID protocols go this year, a big emphasis from this office has been on using the vaccination as a key to keep your team on the field. What are the quarantine rules as far as vaccinations go? Well, Eric, first, thanks for having me. And um, yes, I will clear up a little bit of what we've been expressing to our school administration and to our coaches about vaccinations for COVID. And we got this from the state uh, our state health officials have passed this down so we can relay this information. Two big changes this year in COVID protocols. First of all, we are encouraging the vaccinations. And uh, very basic uh, to summarize how it would work, if you're exposed to COVID in your English classroom and you've been vaccinated, 
you, you would not have to go into quarantine. But if you are unvaccinated and you get exposed in your English class, you would be quarantined. So we certainly, you know, for that reason, uh, encourage teams in for to get the vaccination to avoid being quarantined and impacting their team. The second way it's really going to impact things this year is it's going to be more school specific. You're not going to have the statewide map with the, the colors shutting down schools. So you're going to have each school responsible uh, for their COVID outbreaks. So basically, if you've got a high vaccination rate on your team, you're going to keep your team playable. But if you have so many kids that are quarantined, uh, if you have an outbreak and you require that game to be try to be canceled or changed, there'll be no cancellations if the teams can't find an agreed upon date to make up the game, which is really hard in football, mm-hmm. uh, then that's going to be a forfeit this year instead of a no contest. So again, uh, both things just really encourage the vaccination so we can have as close to normal season as possible. A couple things on this really quickly before we move on to rules. The first is, do you anticipate any blowback from coaches or communities maybe even where that is a controversial issue, the idea of getting vaccinated? It's controversial politically. It's not controversial for public health. So blowbacks are blowbacks. I mean, uh, all you have to do is look at the public health data supports the importance of vaccinations. And that's where we have to take our stand. From a standpoint of a 14-year-old who maybe would want to get vaccinated but doesn't have the resources at home or even doesn't have a coach to support that, are there resources available through this office to help kids get vaccinated that might want to do it but might not be able to get to a clinic? Well, I think vaccinations are pretty available now, and I think that any county health department would work hard to help get a kid vaccinated at once vaccinated as long as they're allowed to be vaccinated and meet the criteria. Let's talk about football. The big rule change this year involves offensive linemen and the chop block. Yeah, the term chop block, I guess, will now be eliminated uh, unless it occurs at the term is the initial block and immediate block. Maybe officially eliminated, but boy, howdy, we're going to use that for the next 10 years, I feel like, in my industry. We will try not to, but... (laughs) What's going to happen is, whether they're on the offensive line or the defensive line, those blocks that are low have to occur immediately. So no longer will the pulling guard be able to, as you said, chop block Mm -hmm. or block low. But if it's the initial uh, contact and it is immediate upon a snap, then it can be low. Beyond that, there could be no delayed a low or chop blocks um, within a free blocking zone anymore. Nationwide, uh, one rule change that goes into effect this year, but that they've had four years advance notice as they replace uh, their uniforms is that uh, uh, the grayscale color spectrum chart is now in effect. If you are the home team, you have to wear dark. If, if you're the away team, you wear white. Those light silvers and light grays that people were trying to use as light, but then also trying to use as dark, they're just no longer legal. So if you don't meet 70% to 100% on the gray scale, which means your gray is dark, mm-hmm. not the light or the silver, then your uniform is, is now illegal. And then uh, uniform-wise, also in 2024, and this will really help you guys in the press box and the media, but it helps the fans, it helps everybody. The numbers starting in 2024 must clearly contrast the body of the jersey. We think that's a great rule and wish it was sooner than 2024, to be honest. As do we. Yes, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> And then the National Federation's point of emphasis this year is because uh, everybody's running a, a run-pass option offenses, RPOs, and their point of emphasis is uh, cleaning up the fact that a lineman's not allowed to be downfield beyond two yards from a lot of scrimmage. Because I think if you take a look at a lot of video, that's been a little lenient over the last few years. The, the linemen tend to drift a little farther the longer they hold their blocks. So that's been emphasized as a point to clean up from, from the national level. From the state level, uh, we really want to clean up the idea 
of uh, assisting a runner. You know, when you watch college football or pro football on Saturdays and Sundays, that's legal. But in high school football, you cannot push the quarterback in a back on a quarterback sneak. You can't help the fullback get in by pushing or pulling. So any individual that pushes or pulls and assists the runner, that will be a penalty and that's going to be emphasized this year in West Virginia. Are there any other emphasis points that are coming up this year that we should know? I think one is that the defense is no longer allowed to do disconcerting acts to the offense. Example, the linebacker can't come up and start stomping his feet, you know, to try to get the offense to commit a a false start. No trying to use the cadence of the quarterback yelling out defensive instructions. No clapping of your hands because so many of the snaps now out of the shotgun formation are based on a clap. Mm -hmm. So the the defense has to be uh, more genuine in what it can do and what it can and not try to uh, draw a penalty on the offensive team. How important is it for representatives from your office? Because I see you all at games all the time. How important is it for you to get out to games and to see games and to talk to coaches to find out these things and discern the things that we need to keep an eye on? Because this is an evolving game. These are a lot of problems maybe that weren't problems 10 years ago and they are now. And 10 years from now, we'll have different things. But how important is it to get out and keep your finger on the pulse of the game? Well, I mean, I think it's crucial. I am at a game every time there's a game, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, somewhere in the state several uh, other members of the staff are at games and uh, we've always got our phone on we're available to game administrators and to officials if there's an issue like lightning delays things like that as a consult but it's important that we have our pulse on the game that we know what's going on uh, because we're the ones that also then are involved in the national level when there's rule proposals and stuff and we want our input to be genuine and then we also try to keep good relations and stay in contact with our football coaches committee on any rule proposals and get their opinions and their beliefs before we go represent our state at the those meetings also. Finally, how did this office come out of COVID-19? I know we're not out of the pandemic yet, but last year had to be the most turbulent year in, in athletics and in sports administration. How did this office manage to stay together through all that? We've all got athletic backgrounds, and if you've coached long enough, you learn to deal with the highs and the lows and, and all the emotions that go in between, and you learn to keep keep stepping. That's really all we could do. Uh, you know, we'd make a plan. Things would change. We'd have to make another plan. We would make a plan. We would get instructions from the governor's office or the health department that would change those plans. We just had to adjust them and put them out. Uh, that was what it was, and, uh, you know, we just had to do the best we could and just continue to proceed with the process. Finally, I want to close with this. If someone wants to be an official, not just for football but for any of your sports how do you get involved with that and how dire is the need for officials in all your sports the need is dire i'll speak to football first because uh for the first time ever, we have less than 500 registered officials in the state. We've had to change one of our rules and allow Class Three officials, if it's their second year, to go ahead and do varsity games. We never thought that would be the case a decade ago. So we definitely need more young people in officiating and better behavior by the fans and um, more encouragement for our young people, younger people to get involved. Uh, because if we don't, just a few years down the road, we'll be playing high school football on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays just to get the games covered, and nobody wants to have to do that. Wayne Ryan is the Assistant Executive Director of the WVSS. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on, of course, the rules and and, and helping interpret the rules for fans and broadcasters alike and and for keeping us updated and, and for keeping the kids safe. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We pivot now to our top five games of the year. These are in no particular order other than chronological order. These are five games to watch in 2021. I'm going to start on opening week in West Virginia as the Williamstown Yellow Jackets host Waterford. Waterford is a team that's been very strong in the last couple years. That will not be an easy opener for Chris Beck's group. And it also will not be the only time Williamstown faces an Ohio school this year. They've been dabbling into Ohio a little bit more in recent years than before, and that's largely 
simply because they've had some trouble finding teams in West Virginia that will play them. But there's some teams that match up well with Williamstown right across the river in their neck of the woods. We've talked about Marietta, ironically, a team that Williamstown doesn't have. Marietta and Williamstown separate by just the bridge right across the river from one another. Those schools are less than five miles apart. Williamstown and Marietta have been playing regularly every year. They will not this year. They couldn't find an agreed-upon date, and they hope to renew that series down the road. Williamstown will start their season against Waterford, Ohio, in a tough game in Williamstown on August 27th, and then they'll visit Warren. Matt Kimes' group has been on the rise. He's in his third year there. And then later on, it'll be Williamstown at home against Fort Fry. That's a very, very strong Ohio team, made deep in the state playoffs last year and the year before. So Waterford, Warren, and Fort Fry crossing into Williamstown with uh, two of those three games in Williamstown. Waterford right from the jump. That will be a tough game for the Williamstown Yellow Jackets. Parkersburg South at PHS. This game moves up to September 17th. It had been at the end of the season for a long time. When I was growing up, and I think even when I started covering high school football here, that game was in the middle of the season, as it is now, and then they decided to move it to the end of the year to spike the rivalry a little bit. But I think both schools decided they kind of like it in the middle of September, and here's why. They plan to do an entire rivalry week with volleyball, golf, and boys and girls soccer, and cross-country, all competing against one another that week, leading up to the football game between the schools. I think it's a great idea to boost school spirit and school morale. Everybody knows that that's a big rivalry. It's a friendly rivalry. You've got people that date other people from each school. Their best friends go to each school. I mean, they, they know each other from various things living in the same community now, but that doesn't mean they don't want to beat each other on the field, and they very much do. So I think that's going to spike the interest to have that when all of those other sports can be in season, and they can do it right smack in the middle of the year. I think that's going to be a positive move for this rivalry. Also, September 17th, St. Mary's at Ritchie County. If someone's got a beef with St. Mary's, it's got to be Ritchie County because Ritchie County was the team that was supposed to play St. Mary's in the state finals last year. Of course, COVID prevented Ritchie County from going. Ritchie County went red, were not able to play St. Mary's. St. Mary's declared the state champions after their semifinal win in St. Mary's last year. So Ritchie County has had to sit there for over half a year now and watch St. Mary's call themselves the defending class a champion to talk about their championship and get their rings and see the entire process. Well, Ritchie County didn't have the chance to play them for that championship. So if anyone is going to give St. Mary's their best shot, it is Ritchie County. Unless... It's our next game, which is October 1st. That's St. Mary's at home against Williamstown. I don't need to say a whole lot more about that one because St. Mary's-Williamstown has been one of the areas and one of the state's best small school matchups for a long time. They've gone on runs of having massive success against one another. Williamstown won 13 straight against St. Mary's for a long time. And then St. Mary's had the measure of Williamstown for about a five or six year span, winning the majority of the matchups there. Things have balanced out a little bit. Williamstown's got their state championships in that run. St. Mary's now has two in the last five years. So... October 1st, if Ritchie County hasn't given St. Mary's their best shot, you darn well know Williamstown will, and they've got that one circled on their calendars. They always say they don't, but they always do, and they're going to, especially this year. And then October 22nd, the final game chronologically, River at Frontier. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, and we mentioned that expanded Ohio playoff field, but because of that expanded playoff field, they've moved the entire season up a week in Ohio. It ended earlier than West Virginia's anyway because there's no bye week in Ohio. 
So they're 10 games played in 10 weeks, whereas West Virginia is 11 games in 10 weeks. And now Ohio starts two weeks earlier. So that October 22nd matchup between River and Frontier, after that, there's still time in the West Virginia season. Uh, there's still two weeks left in the West Virginia regular season, but that is the last game in that Ohio regular season. River and Frontier, River the perennial favorite. Frontier has had playoff success uh, after their win last year. They've had a couple years of success under Russ Morris, but are they to the level they can lose some people to graduation and still compete with a perennial favorite like River? Always a good rivalry anyway, especially when there's some extra juice involved, and this year's comes with some extra juice. That's my top five games to watch. Tara Malone, our statewide correspondent, has a top five games in the Mid-Ohio Valley and a top five statewide. Well, Eric, we're keeping our eyes on multiple games across the state of West Virginia, and not only that, but in the Mid-Ohio Valley. So here's my top five in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Starting out at number five, Magnolia at Tyler Consolidated. Magnolia High School has led the series 23-5. to This game will come towards the end of the season where either team could be fighting for a spot in the Class Single-A playoffs. Number four, Ritchie County versus Doddridge County. The Route 50 rivalry will continue at Klein-Sansbury Stadium this season. The Bulldogs edge past the Rebels this past fall in a late field goal to win 9-8. Doddridge County, however, has won the last seven games in a row. Number three, Parkersburg South versus Parkersburg. The Crosstown rivalry will continue between these two historic programs. PHS leads the series 37-16. Number two, Frontier versus River. Frontier won their first playoff game ever in their school's history. Can momentum carry over to the 2021 season? We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. And finally, number one, Williamstown versus St. Mary's. WHS was the only team to defeat the Blue Devils last season. This game is always a turning point in the class single-A playoff picture. Both teams have split the last six meetings between one another. And that is a look in the mid-Ohio Valley for the top five games this season. We turn the page over to the statewide games that we're keeping our eyes on as well. Coming in at number five, Cabell Midland versus Spring Valley. These two MSAC premier programs will meet in Huntington this season, and this will be week number one of the 2021 high school football season. The Knights defeated the Timberwolves twice in 2019 en route to a Super 6 State tournament bid, and then we move forward to number four, where South Charleston will meet at Morgantown. The Black Eagles are coming off a 2020 Class AAA State Championship undefeated season, moving in at 6-0. Sean Beiser, however, will enter his second season leading the Morgantown Mohegans. Number three, statewide games that we're keeping our eyes on this season. Man, at Wheeling Central, the home-and-home series concludes in the Northern Panhandle. However, Wheeling Central won at Man last season 19-0, and the Hillbillies have played four Class AA opponents and George Washington last season. Can the Hillbillies bounce back and work their way into the Class Single-A bracket this season? Last season, they went 4-4. Coming in at number two, Robert C. Bird sitting at 8-2 at Fairmont Senior that went 10-2 last season. Robert C. Bird qualified for the playoffs in nine of the last 11 seasons. However, the Fairmont Senior Polar Bears won last year's contest 28-13. That game will take place on week number eight of the high school football season. And finally, Eric, the game I'm keeping my eyes on the most this season, my number one pick overall in the state of West Virginia, Martinsburg, that went 5-1 and one last season. They traveled to Spring Valley that sat 4-1 and one last season. The lone loss for, comes from a class AA school in Fairmont Senior. This is the second game in the home-and-home home series. The Timberwolves ended Martinsburg's 57-game win streak last September. And that is a look at our West Virginia statewide games of the year. Back to you, Eric. Thank you, Taryn. And I want to say it's interesting 
interesting that without consulting one another on this, we both picked River Frontier, South PHS, and Williamstown St. Mary's. So his top three locally, same as my top three, but I gotta say, a couple of intriguing picks in there, Richie and Doddridge, and that's one that was on the cutting room floor for me. That is always a tight game, and it was last year. Doddridge has been, has been an emerging threat in the LKC, and now we'll really see if Bobby Burnside can keep that program going the way it's been going over multiple years, over multiple generations and classes of people churning through the program. Terran's got interesting top five statewide as well, uh, matchups at all levels, so those are games to circle on your calendar if you're a high school football fan of the state. Next week, the preseason preview series continues. St. Mary's, Tyler Consolidated, Payton City, Parkersburg South, possibly more. All those schools, you'll hear from the coaches on next week's pod. Also, we have real games to talk about in Ohio. Marietta, Frontier, and River all in action in the Buckeye State, looking to get their season started on the right foot. We'll also hear from Taryn Malone, our statewide correspondent, once again. Download us and subscribe every week. You can find us on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Rate us and review us on Apple. We sure would appreciate your feedback. And again, subscribe there. And if you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. For Taryn Malone, and a big thank you to all of our guests, Wayne Ryan, the Assistant Executive Director of the WVSSAC, Head Coaches, Mike Bias from PHS, Chris Beck from Williamstown, Russ Morris from Frontier, and Jason Shope from Marietta. I'm Eric Little. Thank you for joining us once again for the podcast this week. Much more to come next week on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, and we'll talk to you then. Have a great rest of the week, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.